Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I hope you enjoyed that last hour, especially the amazing interview I had with Denise. That was quite quite an opportunity to hear an amazing story that I was thrilled to meet her. And I hope you enjoyed the story. I'm going to talk to Ken Samples this hour. And I always look forward to talking to Ken because he's so smart. He's at Reasons.org. He's a senior research um, scholar there. And he's also author of several books, and they are books like Christianity Cross-Examined, Classic Christian Thinkers, and God Among Sages. Now, today, we're going to talk about uh, the two books, Metaphor in Christian History. And I'm looking forward to learning about that, because I don't know much to even get us started. Ken, welcome. Hello, Bill. How you doing? Good. I love the I love this idea that we're going to talk about the the book of nature which is God's world and the, and the book of scripture which is God's word. Yeah, the ancient Jews and Christians they were very bookish people and even though they didn't have a lot of literal books they thought about the natural world as if it were a book and so we see that mm. uh in the in the Old Testament and we see it in Christian history. I love it. Let's. I would love to learn as much as I can with what you know in the time we have available about this this general revelation called the book of nature. Because we hear people all the time talk about how I'm not interested in the Bible, but I'm interested in nature. <laughs> yes, uh, that's exactly right. I mean, another way of stating that same idea is that sometimes people say, "I'm I don't care about religion. Give right. me science." Right. Yeah. Right. Because science makes sense. To exactly. Them. Yeah. That that's that's the way they reason. Well, it this is a this is a metaphor. We're basically saying that there are two books. They both come from God. They're they both have His fingerprint, His autograph on them. So the two books are going to agree, uh, except if they're misinterpreted. Mm. But. The, the book of scripture, of course, we know well, uh, it's God's word, it's special revelation, think of it in those terms. The book of nature is like a book, it's a figurative book. Um, it would be God's world or general revelation. But listen here, as uh, as uh, David uh, says in, in Psalm 19, he writes this, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day by day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the world, to the end of the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So right there, uh, the psalmist tells us that that, uh, nature has kind of bookish qualities. It can speak. It has knowledge. It has a voice. Now, of course, all this is metaphor, 
But uh, right after that, uh, verse 7 through 11, David then picks up special revelation. It talks about the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So in the Old Testament, we have this two books idea that God has revealed himself in the uh, literal book of Scripture. But if you don't have that book, all you have to do is look at nature and God has revealed himself there. And I, I just think that this is an incredible idea because, um, you know, when the Apostle Paul picks this up in the book of Romans, he says that we see and understand and know that there is a God and it's from his handiwork, his his book of nature. Mm-hmm. And how can you have a book if you don't have an intelligent author behind it? I mean, one of the great ironies in my mind um, Bill, as an as and I'm not a scientist, but you know, um, the scientific enterprise they recruit the smartest people they can find. They give them the most rigorous, specialized training at some of the top universities in the world, only to then give them a worldview that says there's no intelligence behind the world. That that's so ironic. Because the Bible says nature's like a book, yeah, and books books are in libraries. Libraries yeah. are where people go to read and understand. Yeah, it seems like common sense, Ken, has been completely swallowed. It, we don't use it anymore. I mean, when you think of the creative nature of God, and there are he created forty three hundred different species of worms. I would think <laughs> if I was creating after three or four worms, I'd be done. <laughs> Yeah, there. The, you know, there was one secular scientist, and he says, you know, God, he seems to have an inordinate fondness for beetles. <laughs> he made so many different kinds. Yeah. But, you know, I'm glad you used that expression, common sense, because, Bill, I think people in the ancient world, in the medieval world, before, you know, living in the modern world, I think most people would have said, yes, I do believe in God, because it's common sense. Yeah, thank you, Ken. That's, it's, yeah, I appreciate that. I don't know if you've ever snorkeled before. I went snorkeling once in Hawaii, and I think to myself, the spectacular things I saw under the water would yeah. only indicate that God is a spectacular creative artist. And you can only imagine his uh, painting room. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the again, the ancient uh, Christians and Jews they would talk about truth, goodness, and beauty, that God is true, that he, he's real, he's good, but he's also beautiful because he's the, he's the author of beauty. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, um, who actually talked more about the beauty of God than he ever talked about the judgment of God, uh, notwithstanding his sinners in the hands of an angry God, um, Bill, I think that when we encounter God face to face, which is what theologians call the beatific vision, I think what is going to strike us most is the beauty of God. And we see mm, part of that. We see part of that painted in this book that's all around us. Yeah, that's a that's an amazing observation. Once again, Ken, it's uh, so thrilling. You just kind of gave me goosebumps. Well, I think Christians 
I, I think Christians probably don't give enough thought to beauty. Mm-hmm. And I think people living now who are kind of postmodern people. They like beauty. They don't like truth or they think everybody has their own truth. They're uncertain about whether religion is good. But my friends who won't go to church with me, they'll go to an art galaxy with me. Mm-hmm. They'll, they love beauty. So I think, I think we should talk about the beauty of God. I agree. I agree. I mean, you can tire of food and sex, but you never tire of beauty. That's, a, that's exactly right. There, there, are, there are certain things in life that we can't get enough of. And one of them is, is beauty, and that's because, that's because it, it flows forth from God. Yeah, Rosie just looked at me and thought, you said sex on your show, so sorry, <laughs> Rosie. But no, we, we have appetites for certain things, worldly things, right? And, but you can sit and look at the ocean for 12 hours straight and then want more. What's with that? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, when I when I I remember being a boy and then being a teenager and looking at the ocean and I just had longing. I had I I I thought, where did this water come from? And then I thought I I just had the sense of longing that there 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 must be something more to to life in the world that I was living in. And you know, beauty is interesting too because uh when I look at the book of nature, I mean, I, I love these big cats. Um, I remember seeing a uh, one of the particular cats, a jaguar, dive into a, a lake and pull out uh, a caiman, it grabbed it by the neck, pulled it out and dragged it up a hill. And I thought, my goodness, can you imagine going into a creek in, mm-hmm. in the environment of a caiman, you know, a crocodile-like creature? Um but you know these big cats they're so amazing and so incredible but they're but they're fierce they're dangerous they're beautiful but uh they're fierce they're scary and i think of cs lewis's comment that aslan is good but he's not safe yeah it's so true the level of of power that these animals have is yeah it's indescribable yeah, and this is all part of that book of nature. Yeah, where, fascinating. Where book. God, God is communicating, and, and if you look at the passage there in Psalm nineteen, really the Hebrew says that God keeps on. It's not just that he he conveys the glory of God, keeps on reflecting that glory over and over. Therefore, on Judgment Day, nobody will be able to say, "I didn't have any evidence." Yeah. Now, Ken, your mom's fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies would not be in God's book of nature, would it? Well, I'll tell you, those were, uh, th- those were, those were, I, I, now I'm starting to taste those great <laughs> cookies that my mother. Yeah. So when I come back, I want to ask you about um, the Christian doctrine of revelation. I want to talk about biblical doctrine of revelation when we come back. We're going to take a break. Ken Samples is my guest. You can go to Reasons.org to learn more about Ken. He's a senior research scholar at Reasons.org. He's a regular guest on the show. Once a month he comes on and teaches me and you, hopefully, a whole lot. Say, if you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, all you have to do is text the word FAITH to 41224. 41224. Someone will call you.
would love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio and what has Faith Radio changed the way you think about something or even how you live. We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leaving a message today. My guest is Ken Samples. He's a theologian and philosopher at Reasons.org. And Ken, during the break, Rosie and I were just talking a little bit about the the book of nature, God's world. And, you know, I think it can be a, a difficult conversation to have because I think some people might think, well, that sounds kind of new age. What are you, hugging a tree? Um, but then I also think of the fact that if you emptied out the sun, you could fit inside the sun 1.3 million Earths. Wow. And then we were thinking, boy, the creator of that made himself in the form of man and came and died for our sins. Yeah, that's such an, uh, you just can't get your mind around that. Uh, I remember J.I. Packer saying that the truth of Christianity is greater than any fictional claim that that a God who, who may have created a trillion galaxies, that this God took a human nature and became man. I mm-hmm. mean, that's greater than the stories you hear on Star Trek or Star <laughs> Wars. Yeah. I mean, it's greater than Lewis and Tolkien's ideas. Yep. And, and, and yet that, that's really at the heart of the Jewish and Christian religions. They believe in revelation and, Bill, I, what's interesting is when you open the Bible and you read it, there there's no place where you're given an, a formal and explicit argument for God. Rather, it, the biblical authors assume the existence of God because they realize it's common sense. It's mm-hmm. all around you. They they speak in terms of of metaphor. They say, you know, if you want to know how much God uh, you know, what kind of resources God has. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Yeah. Uh, I could say now in light of astronomy, he owns the cattle on a tr- in a trillion galaxies. I mean, there's no end of all of that. And this is this is really what makes the Bible very different than these other religious books, particularly the Eastern books. You don't have this kind of revelation where God comes looking for you. God, God made the world. And, um, it's, I, I think that this is, uh, I think it's important for Christian families to have discussions that God is the author of the book of nature. Take your kids to the zoo, take, encourage them to uh, study the natural world. Uh, because we believe that that's, God is also speaking there. Yeah. Now, the way to stay away from the Eastern mystical New Age ideas is we don't believe in, you know, things like uh, uh, reincarnation. We we don't believe in, you know, that there are, you know, God is God is only one being uh, or reality, you know, those kinds of ideas. But 
Um, I think if you miss God in the book of nature, you've missed something really significant. Mm-hmm. Ken, how do we better connect the dots when you invite someone to church and they say, well, I really don't want to go to your church because I, my church is when I go into the woods on Sunday morning and go for a walk? Well, I, I think it's really interesting, Bill. You know, when you, I watch some of these programs on television. My wife, she's a, she likes to hike. She loves nature. We watch some of these programs about people who have to stay in in the woods, and the last the last person standing, you know, wins a, a half a million dollars. And what's interesting is I watch these people as as they're there for you know fifty sixty days, mm-hmm. uh, you know, trying to find fire, you know, building a hut, uh, fishing, you know, sh- shooting shooting squirrels with arrows. What's interesting to me, Bill, is that inevitably people start philosophizing. They start looking at their life. They start because they're no longer in the city where they're looking at things that human beings made. They're now in nature where they're looking directly at what God made. And they inevitably start asking like, boy, when I get back, I'm going to change my life or, you know, what I'm so grateful for the things that I have in my life. And, you know, Bill, I think that's the purpose of nature. Uh, nature is there not only to testify to God so that we're held accountable for that, but I, I think it's also there to move us to what we call in theology, doxology, to worship God. Mm-hmm. That that nature is there to say, this is the kind of being that stands behind, as beautiful as the natural world is, it can't compare with the Creator. You know, and Ken, when people talk about nature, it being so peaceful and calming for them, can we also say that nature is very violent? You just talked about this cheetah or this jaguar that's dragging something out of the water, but you don't have to watch too many documentaries on TV about the nature and what or nature what goes on in the Serengeti and everything else to realize that's pretty violent. Yes, nature has many qualities. I mean, it, it you know, I when I go to the beach and look at the Pacific Ocean, you know, it it seems like it's it's peaceful, it's beautiful, but you're absolutely right. Some of the uh, some of the aspects of nature are are violent. They are fierce. Uh, that's all part of that natural uh, creation, and and of course, you in, in some sense you can understand how maybe in the pagan world they might look at something like that, and because they don't have special revelation, they've only got general revelation, mm-hmm. and because they're fallen, they might distort what they see and say, well, maybe God is like, maybe God's like the jaguar, you know, and the king of the forest, etc. So you can see you can see how important nature is but but nature won't tell you the gospel. True. Nature won't reveal those very unique elements that come in the person of Christ. Mm-hmm. So we have a package deal. We've got these two books and if they're interpreted properly, they reinforce each other. And and again I think it's it's very powerful that because God made human beings in his image, we have these capacities to kind of think about reading, learning, words, books. We 
we look at things in these conceptual categories, um, you know, the, the difference, Bill, the difference between a human being and on one hand, the animals on the other or machines on the other is that we are rational. We can, we can think we bear the image of God. And I mean, even the idea of a metaphor that that's impossible for an animal to appreciate and, and the machine can't do it in terms of free thinking. Machines can mimic human thinking, but they don't have real consciousness. They don't have real sentient thought. So again, human beings are just the right type to be able to say, wow, God gave me a book, a literal one, a physical one, a print one. Yet he also gave me this, this metaphor, this world that, uh, that speaks to me so powerfully. Sometimes the world is, is, it is a very comforting place, and sometimes it's a terrifying place. Mm-hmm. Ken Samples is my guest. He's a philosopher and theologian. Ken, I'd love to talk about the biblical doctrine of revelation and how has God revealed or unveiled himself. Yeah, this this is this is the really at the heart of this two books idea that let's let's look at how God has revealed himself. We'll think of in terms of general revelation. Well, we know Psalm 19, he's revealed himself in nature. You know, these these new photographs that NASA released, uh, they're they're they show so much, maybe a trillion, multiple trillions of galaxies. God's revealed himself in nature, but he's also revealed himself in in the human conscience. I think of Romans 1 and 2, uh, that right at the heart of our being, we have a moral awareness of God. That's why it's so critical to come to God on God's terms. You have to come to God with moral humility. That's very difficult for sinners to do. But he's also revealed himself in history, the the history of the people of the Jews in the Old Testament. I mean, Abraham and Moses were having experiences with Yahweh long before they recorded the Torah. Christian, the Christians had encountered Christ, having a relationship with the Lord before the New Testament was written. And so revelation can be personal. It can then also take a verbal expression. Uh, And so Christians know God from nature. They know God from conscience. They know God from providence. They know God from scripture. Um, this And this is such an important doctrine because uh, one, skeptics like to say, as we talked in, about in, in previous shows, that God is hidden. But but then this this final step, this that God, the second person of the Trinity, he didn't hold on to his privilege. Philippians 2, he didn't hold on to the privileged state of being in heaven with, with the Father and the Spirit, but took a human nature. And Paul says in Philippians 2, he became a slave. Mm. He became the lowest. And, um, you know, I, I, there are sometimes I think, wow, this is this idea of the incarnation that most of us end up talking mostly at Christmas about it, but I thought, wow, this is such an incredible idea. It's greater than anything in fiction, and I believe it's true. Yeah. I believe 
literally true. Yeah, Ken, let's pick this up after the break. Ken Samples is my guest. He's a philosopher and theologian. We're talking about the the um, two books. And when we get back, I want some scriptural uh, references for the general and spe- special revelation. We'll be right back. My guest today is Ken Samples. He's a senior research scholar at reasons.org. You can learn more about Ken at reasons.org. He's not only a philosopher and theologian, but he's an author. He's written several books, for example, uh, books like uh, Christianity Cross-Examined, Classic Christian Thinkers, and God Among Sages. And today we're having a a very interesting conversation about the uh, two books, the two books metaphor in Christian history, the the book of general revelation and special revelation. So the, the book of nature, God's world, and the book of scripture, which is God's word, And I would love to go back to this Christian doctrine of revelation. We've got these dual revelations. We've got general revelation and special. And I know these books are referenced in Scripture. Ken, maybe we can start laying some of that foundation. Yes, general revelation. It's called general because it goes out to all people at all times everywhere. It's generally available great source for this is both the Old and New Testament. Um, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. That's the book of nature. Then a little bit later in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. So the psalmist plays off both the book of nature and the book of scripture. Then in the New Testament, um, Not only does the Apostle Paul talk about uh, creation testifying to God, but even when he's preaching to the philosophers in Athens in the book of Acts 17, um, he, he talks about even your own poets, even your own thinkers talk about this, this God in whom we live and move and have our own being. Bill, what's so very powerful about general revelation is it's to all people, to all cultures, everybody has this awareness. This isn't this isn't uniquely Christian or Jewish. This knowledge of God, this awareness of God, uh, comes to all people at all times, everywhere. And so it's general. Now, special that's very different. Special means it's it's unique. It comes in special places at special times to special people. And of course, uh, Judaism talks about being given the law of God, that, that Moses encountered the Lord, and the Israelites had experiences with God. They, they experienced the, the exodus. They experienced the giving of the law. They encountered that, that uh, Yahweh not only loved them and cared for them and took them out of the, out of, uh, out of the slavery of, of the Egyptians— but he also had a plan for their redemption, that there would be a blood sacrifice. Uh, 
Well, that then explodes in the New Testament, where Christians recognize Jesus as the the coming Messiah. The Old Testament messianic figure has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And Christians then take this essentially Jewish concept and they universalize it. They take it to the world. Uh, They talk about, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul walking on these roads made by the Romans for military purposes. Uh, Those people didn't realize that God had a plan for all of the purposes in history to take the gospel to, throughout the earth. And and so this is right at that heart, that uh, uh, special revelation uh, in the gospel of John. Uh, John says, in the beginning was the word. No doubt John's referencing Genesis there. That's the same language in yeah. the beginning. But then he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then verse 14, that miracle, the words become flesh and dwelled among us. Another way of translating that is Jesus pitched his tent among us. Uh, He was only there for a period of time. Of course, he's going to come again in the future but the, again, that revelation, well, where people, people have a lot of questions in life. Well, where is God? How come I can't see God? Or where is God when I'm suffering? Uh, I think this biblical teaching of revelation is so important and so critical uh, because it tells us not only uh, about God, but God is the one who is motivated. He's come looking for us. He didn't have to create us. He wanted to create us, and he wants to forgive us and bring us back into fellowship, a fellowship we'll enjoy for all eternity. That's the biblical message. Bill, I think that in some ways people have to want to believe before they can believe, Mm, and I think we have to to convince them there's good reasons uh, to hope that, that Christianity really is true because it's so incredible. Yeah. People are looking for Jesus, whether they know it or not. And I think we are mostly obsessed with God, including people like atheists who are more more obsessed with God than the average person because they have such a disdain for God that they have to know a lot about God in order to say, I don't believe in him. I completely agree. I remember, I remember, uh, this was a number of years ago. It was on Thanksgiving morning, and an atheist went on my web page, and we talked for two and a half hours. And so finally, I said to him, "You know, we, you and I, you've been telling me for two and a half hours that this God doesn't exist. <laughs> why, yeah. you know, why are you taking up your time and mine? Right? If you don't you don't think this God exists? I, I think you've said it exactly right, Bill. That we we can't stop talking about God. Why?" Because right in right at the center of our being, God has made Himself known. Yes. Even in, even independent of nature and history, right at the core of our being, God has revealed Himself. Uh, John Calvin in the Protestant Reformation talked about the sensus divinitatis in Latin. We have a sense of the divine at the core of our being. So good. Now, Ken, I'd love to revisit Psalm 19 just because the verse is so powerful. And when you, I see the words and read it to myself, I think I need to repeat this on the air. 
and that is in verses, uh, I believe it's 7 to 11. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The Mm. statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. You know, the, the psalmist was a two books person. Uh, David, he, he's giving us the two books, you know, verses one through four, the book of na- the figurative book of nature verses seven through 11, the literal book of scripture. And God is, God is testifying. He's revealing himself. I remember the atheist Bertrand Russell said, you know, what if you're wrong and God does exist? What are you going to say on judgment day? And Russell said, I'll say not enough evidence, God. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure anything like that is even possible in light of what we find in the book of nature and the book of scripture. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I sometimes hear those remarks and I, of course, my heart breaks because that's how lost people speak. And, you know, all of this, exactly, all of this testifies to how powerful sin is. Yes. I mean, I mean, I think the most diabolical feature of sin, it, it's not just that you break the commandments. It's not just that you miss the mark. You're an archer and your arrow goes wide. But in Romans 1, Paul says that sin has a way of blinding you to reality. It, it blinds you. And that's, that's, that's scary to think that, to, to think that I, can, I can be living in illusion. You know, on one of your shows, we talked about Plato's cave. You're, you're yeah. groping in a cave. You don't see reality. That's that's a very scary thing that sin can blind us to the to the greatest things in life. And I believe too, Ken, we underestimate how incredibly powerful sin is. Exactly. I I, I like to tell people that the bad news is that sin is is much greater than we realize. It's much more diabolical than we realize. The good news is that the grace of God, the person of Christ, the person of the Spirit, the Father is always using his right hand and his left hand, the Son and the Spirit, to to bring us grace. The Lord's given us the greatest gifts he could ever give us, his Son and his Spirit. But that's exactly right. Sin is much more prevalent than we think, but but the, the higher view you have of sin, the higher view you have to have of grace that God can do it. And you know what? He did it for me. He changed my life. He turned me inside out. Um, I've seen him do it to so many people. Um, But yeah, um, sin is not a small thing and neither is grace. Yeah. And that's what the cross does. The salvation breaks the power of sin in our life. What a beautiful thing that is. Absolutely. That's that man that came, that that person who had a human nature, uh, he came to die because he was both God and man. He can reconcile God and man. The incarnation, the revelation of God in flesh, is that's the backdrop of redemption. Mm-hmm. Great observation from a listener said, I can't tell you how many people in 
AA use nature as their higher power? Yeah, it it well it makes sense, doesn't it? If if a person if a person hasn't yet been has not come to the special revelation and seen it within a purely a biblical or Christian context, of course they're going to do that. I mean, scientists look at nature and say that they become they engage in idolatry because nature is so incredible. Um yeah, people people have that awareness, my higher power or, you know, the being, uh, whatever, whatever language or names or titles they're giving, we just can't stop seeking God. St. Augustine said that to be made in the image of God, it makes you worshipers and lovers, but sin takes us away. Therefore, we love love becomes idolatrous and worship becomes idolatrous. And we have these, uh, you know, we, we have these inordinate desires. So yeah. And at the backdrop of all this again is revelation. God has made himself known. Mm -hmm. So Ken, when we come back from a short break, I would love to start relating the general revelation and the special revelation. Of course, the living word is Christ and the written word is scripture. So maybe we can start uh, relating these two together, the general and specific revelation. My guest is Ken Samples. He's a philosopher and a theologian, and he is at reasons.org. It's an amazing uh, think tank. And Ken is a senior research scholar there. After a short break, we'll be right back with Ken. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Ken Samples helps us think. I always appreciate when he comes on the program. He's a senior research scholar at Reasons.org. You can learn more about Ken. See his good-looking picture at Reasons.org. But today we've been talking about the revelation in two books, the book of nature, the book of scripture. Excuse me. And uh, now I would love to start relating the general and special revelation, if we can, Ken. Yeah, very very important. The, the we can distinguish between general revelation and special revelation. Uh, you know, we we realize God's revealed in nature and and in providence in our conscience. We also realize our special revelation, the living Word Christ. But then that revelation is inscripturated, if you will, in the Bible in Scripture. But the revelations are meant to be a unity. They're meant to come together. And uh, this has been very meaningful to me, Bill, in my life, because I remember as a young Christian, I I had kind of a, a crisis of faith. I was studying philosophy and logic and reason and history. But I went to a church for a time that was a little bit anti-intellectual. So we never, a church, we never talked about reason we never talked about arguments. 
at, at school, we never talked about faith. And I thought, wow, I'm, I'm kind of a man without a country. <laughs> but then I had a Christian professor says, Ken, you need to, you know, read about the two books, read Augustine, read Christian philosophy. And I realized at that point that I could study philosophy, I could study science, I could study history, even though there are a lot of unchristian or anti-Christian theories associated with it, that really all truth is God's truth. I mean, I, f- I find it fascinating, Bill, that, you know, they'll have people in a jungle and they say, well, you know, you don't want to eat that plant, you know, that'll kill you. But if you do eat it, then there's another plant over here. If you, if you, you know, scrunch it up, that will heal whatever that other plant. And I'm like, there's like a pharmacy in, you know, in a jungle. It's mm-hmm. like, where did all of this come from? Well, all truth is God's truth. They complement each other. Um, you know, you can exaggerate one or the other. You know, you, you don't want, you must realize that nature or the book of nature is never going to give you the gospel specifically. But you also don't want to lose sight of the fact that as you're preaching the gospel, you can say, hey, the power of God is seen in that God can create a trillion galaxies. So you want to you want to bring them together. You want to say that God is testifying in, in both of them. And um, as, as we mentioned earlier, there are a lot of people, for whatever reason, they don't want to go to church. They don't want to hear the religious message. But it, it may be that in, in a careful way, in a thoughtful way, in an honest way, we can talk about the book of nature. Well, where does, why is nature so beautiful? Uh, why do human beings have the capacity for, you know, to appreciate beauty? Where does that come from? Uh, we can we can lead people back to the special revelation that's found in Scripture and the Gospel by appealing to this incredible book. I I like to think of the book of nature as a it's like it's like a library. It just has just has almost everything you could ever consider. And um, again, when I think about libraries, I don't think of well, it just happened by chance. No, I think of thought, I think of reflection, I think of ideas, I think of a mind behind all of that, a a repository of knowledge. That's the book of nature, because God is all those things. He's the great artist, he is the great engineer, he's the great inventor, He it all belongs to him. That, you know, at, at a time in which... You know, we're living on the backside of the pandemic where people feel lonely, they feel disoriented, they they feel like, you know, they've got health, mental health challenges. I, I like to, I love to give the message that everything belongs to God. It all belongs to him and you belong to him. He is the great physician. He is the one who has come in, in the person of his son. That to me is... You know, he is, he's the one, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Buddha didn't say that, neither did Krishna, neither did Muhammad. The the most amazing person I have ever encountered 
is Jesus Christ in the Gospels. And, you know, that's he, he can meet all of our needs. God can be trusted. Here, here's a good way of describing faith. God can be trusted in every circumstance of life. Whatever your issue is, he can be trusted to, to heal you, to help you, uh, to give you what you need. Those are absolutely true words, Ken Samples. Thank you for saying that. And I love those passages. I think there's one in Psalm, maybe in chapter 24, the earth belongs to God and everything in it. And I think there's also one in 1 Corinthians 10, 26, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it belongs to the Lord. The earth and everything in belongs to the Lord. And, and these are these are such powerful passages because because essentially they they tell us that we're not our own. We um, we're not the master of our own fate. Uh, we these aren't our lives. They come from the Lord. Everything belongs to Him, and when He demands to to us to give an account of our of our life, our choices, our moral decisions. It's perfectly justified because of this ownership that he has over everything. And therefore, he can be relied upon to tell us, here are the answers to these things that trouble you so deeply. Uh, here are, here, here is the way of life that will, that will, will be healing to you rather than, you know, destruction and despair. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I love that. Cre- creation is such a powerful testimony uh to the to the special revelation that comes in Christ. Yeah. yeah. So here are a couple of things you can take home in the brown paper bag when you walk in uh home tonight and we're relating general revelation and special revelation and Ken says that that revelation is a unity distinguished but not separated and that all truth is God's truth. So reinforce and complement one another and don't exaggerate or diminish general revelation and don't exaggerate or diminish special re- revelation. Yeah. I this is this is such a such a special area of theology and I love it that it's it's its own doctrine the doctrine of revelation. Uh, God took the initiative to make himself known to us. He came looking for us. That That's just one more sign of his, his love, his mercy, his compassion. And look at the present. Look at the gift that he's given us in those two books. Yeah, it's, it's powerful. And I think, Ken, it's a reinforcement to people— to be reminded that we should use both God's general and special revelation in our ways in which we talk about our our saving faith in Christ. I think that's exactly right. And I mean, you know, you look at David. I mean, he he's a shepherd. He is uh, he's a musician. Uh, he is a prophet. He's a sinner. He does everything, good or bad. He does it in a powerful and great way. But here, here is here is a person who's who really speaks to us about those three transcendentals: truth, goodness, and beauty. Mm-hmm. And Ken, what would you say to someone who maybe has moved 
nature into the idle category? Well, uh, there I would say that as beautiful as nature is, as extraordinary as it is, that in and of itself, it, it doesn't give us the answers to the big questions of life. The, the natural world is to be understood within the context of this other, this other book. You need a savior. Amen to you, that. You need someone to come and to have to live in union with you. And so I love the book of nature. I love science. I love all the disciplines that go with it. But I would say as the medieval Christians, theology is the queen of the sciences. Mm-hmm. And I love the references you've made several times about common sense, because that seems to have gone out the door. That's that's exactly right. How is it possible people living in the ancient world could have more common sense than <laughs> so many of us in the modern world? I know. They didn't have the internet. Come on. <laughs> There's no Google <laughs> in the ancient world. That's yeah. right. How is that possible? Ken, I always learn so much when you come on. Thank you so much for all the thinking you do and, and the way in you pre- way in which you present arguments and material and making it all very uh, accessible. It's always uh, always good. Well, thank you for being so generous and in inviting me. I really enjoy it. Well, it's great. I look forward to having you on. Have a great rest of the evening, and I'll talk to you next month. Bye-bye. You bet. Ken Samples has been my guest. You can learn more about Ken at reasons.org. So head over to reasons.org. And maybe uh, you'd like to share your faith radio story, share how God is using faith radio to encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. We'd love to hear that story. You can go to myfaithradio.com and let us know what you're, uh, what you're learning and how God is uh, transforming you and faith radio is helping. We love helping. So I hope you've enjoyed the show. I've loved being with you and I'm looking forward to our time tomorrow. As always... Put your head on the pillow tonight. Know that God loves you. I do too. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.